Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to bring a little bit of a belated Christmas message. Uh, Abdul Murray said this. He said, Christmas without Easter is meaningless. Easter without Christmas is not possible. The birth, death, and resurrection are all wrapped together. Without his death, there is no gospel. Without his resurrection, his death doesn't mean anything. And it is so true. So most of us, I think that we know what happened at Christmas. But the person who knows why always has a great advantage over the person who knows what. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about why. Why Christmas? Not the what so much as the why, but I would like to start out with both part of Luke's and Matthew's account. But Luke 1 verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, the virgin name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth a son, and call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. He said, you know, you are great, highly, highly favored. Uh, we think about Mary and we think, wow, she was so blessed. She was chosen by God. She was favored by God. But yet the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, 1, verse 6, it says that you are accepted in the beloved. It is the same word. You're favored. And it, we, we tend to think, well, Mary had something special. But the Bible tells us that in Christ, you have the same position of favor. Now, when the, the angel spoke to her and gave her really a prophetic word, he said, you know, you found favor with God. And that had to do with something that was present. And then he said, you will conceive in your womb. And really, that had a short view for future. It was something that was going to shortly take place. You will conceive in your womb. But then he said, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, that was talking about thousands of years into the future. In fact, of his kingdom, there will be no end. It's talking about billions and trillions of years. So there was something that was present. There was something that was shortly going to take place. And there was something that we can say was the long view, something that was going to take a lot of time. And so often, when God speaks to us, the same thing is true. There's part of it that's true right now. There's part of it that may be taking place shortly. And then there's part of it that might take us a lifetime. And so often, we're thinking everything's going to take place next week. But very often, that is not the case. God showed Joseph how he was going to be a deliverer for his people. But it was 22 years before anything began to take place. 
So sometimes in our lives, when God says to something, hey, this uh, this is what I'm calling you to, and we take off, and God says, and there's going to be 30 years of preparation. And we're we're already there. Right? So we need to remember there's, in a prophetic word, there can be things that are for right now, things that will shortly take place, and then things that take place over a much longer period of time, and very often, even a lifetime. Now, Luke chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now there were in the same field shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord showed around them and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. In that 10th verse, he said, I bring to you, to you. I was listening to a Greek scholar and he made mention of this. He said, in the Greek, it's not just like to you. It's like to you, to you, to you, to especially you. Now, there was something that was just for them. And then it was going to be for all people. But he was saying, you, you, this, this message, I'm coming to you, and it is especially for you. Now, when we realize where this is taking place, this is taking place, you can go there today, it's in the shepherd's field. The shepherds that were there were the shepherds that were watching not just sheep, but a particular group of sheep. They were the sheep that were going to be used in the temple for Passover. Right? These were the shepherds who were supposed to make sure that these were the sheep without anything wrong with them, without spot, without blemish. In fact, if we go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, as the children of Israel are about to leave Egypt, the 10th plague is about to take place. And Moses said to Genesis, excuse me, Genesis, Exodus 12, he said, every family, take a lamb into your house on the 10th day. Keep it till the 14th day as the sunset. Kill the lamb catch the blood in a basin, stand in front of your house with a stick of hyssop and put it in the blood and strike above your door. Back in the blood, strike to the right. Back in the blood, strike to the left. And then God said this. He said, wherever I see the blood, he said, I will not allow the destroying angel to come in and do any harm. Well, that was the Passover lamb. And now they were going to have a Passover lamb that was going to come. But this was not a type. This was the real Passover lamb in those same shepherds that were watching over the flocks that were going to be the Passover lamb. Those are the ones that the angel said, this is especially for you. But it's not just for you. He said, this good news, it is for everyone. In fact, the Living Bible says it like this. It says the most joyful news ever announced, and it is for everybody. The most joyful news ever announced. I want you to think for a second, what would be the best news you could ever hear? Think about it. The best news. Somebody said, I I won the lotto. Uh, Maybe it's a prodigal who comes home. Maybe it's paying off your house. Maybe it's you're healed of some disease. 
But uh, the really the best news you'll ever hear is that your sins have been forgiven. The Bible tells the story of uh, in, in I believe it's in Luke chapter five. Jesus is in a house and he's preaching and the house is full. There's people outside and a man who's a paralytic, who's literally on a mat, is carried by four of his friends. And when they can't get to Jesus, they climb on the roof and they make a hole in the roof. They move those tiles and they let this man down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. That really is the best news that any one of us could ever, ever hear. Now, what we live in is a culture that believes that people are basically good. Let me just tell you something that you may not know. The Bible teaches that people are basically bad. We're basically bad. So what people try to do is be good. And by being good, we try to please God. Now, your Bible in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says this. Therefore, by the deeds or by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Other translation says no one has ever been made right with God by obeying rules. But that's what most of us want to do. We say, God, you know, I don't do this and I don't do that. And I don't do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. God, I'm good. God, you should accept me. The truth is that, uh, first of all, we are bad. But the law that people try to obey was not given so that you could be right with God. Romans 5 verse 20 says this. Moreover, the law entered that offense or that sin might abound. Now, God did not give us the law so that we could obey the law and say, God, here I am. I'm such a good person. God gave the law so that you'd realize that you're bad. That you'd realize you were a sinner and you needed a savior. Now, part of that law is that those Ten Commandments I just wanted to ask a couple of questions this morning, uh, just because most people think I'm pretty good. Okay, so have you ever told a lie? Don't don't lift your hand. Like, <laughs> have you ever told a lie? You know that one of the commandments is you shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie. You you, you probably maybe you broke that one. Uh, have you ever stolen anything? Another one of them is don't, don't steal. I mean, like even a pen. Have you ever stolen anything? Again, don't lift your hand. All right. Well, why don't you lift your hands? Okay. Just a few. Uh-huh. Remember that lion part. Okay. Right. This one, do not lift your hand. Have you ever committed adultery? Don't lift your hand. <laughs> I didn't tell him that in the first service, and I looked, and there was not one hand. That was funny. All right. But you said, no, no, no. But, well, Jesus said, if you have lusted in your heart, you just lusted after a person. He says, you've already committed adultery in your heart. How, how many have ever lusted? Okay. So by your own admission, you're a liar, you're a thief, and you're an adulterer. All right. So the wages of sin is death. Now, it's not talking about physical death, but it's talking about eternal death and separation from God. So what God did in Christ, right, 
is he sent someone to provide a death for you. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw or take all men into myself. And then the Bible says, and this he spoke about how he would die. Jesus was saying, when I'm lifted up and I'm put on that cross, I will represent, I will take the sin of every man and every woman on myself. So, Second uh, Corinthians 5, verse 19, says that God was in Christ restoring the world to himself. You see, this is, this is part of the, the, the power of Christmas. Because what religion is, is religion is man trying to reach God and saying, God, I will do this, this, and this, and I won't do this, this, and this. That's religion. It's man reaching out to God, saying, God, this is what I'll do, trying to have relationship with God. But Christianity is not man reaching to God. It is God reaching to man. It's the exact opposite. So God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Now, notice that word, no longer. No longer holding men's sins against them. Uh, Have you ever read stuff in the Old Testament and you went, ooh, I don't get that? Well, in the Old Testament, men's sins weren't paid for. And God was holding men's sins against them. But then Jesus came. That's why the Bible says, Paul, writing to Timothy, Timothy is a, Paul's protege. He's a young pastor. He's pastoring in Ephesus. And this is what he said to him. He said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that not, needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly doing what? Dividing the word of truth. Now listen, when Jesus came, everything changed. When Jesus came, the relationship that God had with man changed. Because you read in the Old Testament, God's holding your sins against you. But in the New Testament, God is not holding your sins against you. Because with, when Jesus came and paid for sin, literally what he did, when he paid for sin, he took your hand and put it in God's hand so that you and I could have relationship with God. Jesus changed everything. And so that's why you may have heard me say this before, but Jesus is perfect theology. You want to know what is God like? Look at Jesus. And everything changed when Jesus came and Jesus went to that cross. God was in Christ restoring the world to himself. It's not our trying to please God. It's God going, look, you're so bad. I can't put a bandaid on you. I can't even operate on you. You are such a mess. You, you just need help and I'll help you. And he says, in fact, you're so bad, we need to kill you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide a death for you. And in Christ, the Bible says that you died with him, that you were buried with him, that you're raised with him, and you're seated together with him at the right hand of God the Father. Now, think about this. Jesus at the cross, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, says that he knew, that knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us. 
He became sin for us. So he takes all of the sin of mankind on him and he dies. He sheds his blood. He dies. I remember the Apostles' Creed says he descended into. He descended into hell for you. But then three days later. He's raised from the dead. Then he ascends into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God. And listen, at the cross, he was your representative. In death, he was your representative. In hell, he was your representative. When he was raised, he's your representative and you're raised with him. And when he's seated at the right hand of God, the father, after taking all of your sins, you know what that means? All your sin, it is gone. It's gone. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, they, we typically say that there's, there's four Greek words that are used for love. There's actually, there's eight of them, but there's four of them that we find in your New Testament. One is eros, uh, sexual attraction. Another is phileo, which is just a deep friendship. And then the, 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 uh, the New Testament used the word storge, the, the Greek word storge. And it's the, the family love. Like you love your parents and you, you love your children. And then there's another type of love, which is agape love. And it is actually in spite of love. It's not because of what you did. It's in spite of everything that you have done wrong. Right? That is the love that God has for us. And so we can say this, that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you could do to make God love you less. Because he doesn't love you based on your behavior. He loves you in spite of your behavior. In fact, he loves you because he is love. He is love. Now, Jesus is born in that manger in Bethlehem, and he's on his way, not to a cross, but he's going through the cross. Right? The, the, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame. So Jesus had to go to the cross to get to where he wanted to go. But he wasn't really going to the cross. He was going through the cross. In Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 14, it says that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. So Jesus wasn't going to death. He was going through death. And in, in, uh, just this past week, I, I had a friend who uh, graduated to heaven. So what does that mean? He means he died. His body died. Right? Now, when I think about my friend, I do not think about him in a casket. Right? I think about him in God's presence where there's fullness of joy and he is dancing. Right? He's having a good time. He didn't go to death. He went through death. Because Jesus went through death, not to death, you and I don't go to death. We go through death. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. He has given forgiven us what? All trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, which was against us. So Moses has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They come to the Mount. God's up on the mountain. Moses goes up on the mountain. And the Bible says that God wrote with his own hand. He wrote on those tablets of stone. Now, some people say that the Ten Commandments and and yes, but not just Ten Commandments. There are actually 613 commandments, but the 10, they're enough. They're enough. Okay. So the handwriting of requirements that was against you are the things that God wrote down. All those laws. It was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way. Now, all of those things that we were supposed to do to try to be right with God, God took that out of the way. It's gone. Why is it gone? He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So Jesus is before Pilate. Pilate ultimately condemns him. He says, I don't find any fault in him. But the, the, the people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. And we have no king but Caesar. So finally, he washes his hands and says, crucify him. And then he takes and he writes on a parchment in three languages. And he writes, Jesus, King of the Jews. And we've got a cross right over here. And at the top of the cross, Pilate had that nailed. And what this was supposed to signify was the offense for which the person was being crucified. Jesus' offense, Pilate said, was because he was the king of the Jews, and there was to be no king except for Caesar. However, that's what we see when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you go over and keep reading in your New Testament, you get to what are called epistles. And they're simply letters that have been written to different churches. And in the epistles, you see things differently. In fact, we can say it this way. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, It's like you take out your iPhone and you take a picture. Now, let's suppose you take your iPhone out and take a picture of my foot. You'd notice my handsome boots. My my blue jeans, those red cords there. You'd notice that. Now, if you were to take a different type of a camera, if you were to take an X-ray picture of my foot, how many know it would be totally different? You would see the inside and not the outside. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John show you the outside. But all of those epistles show you the inside. They show you what happened in the spirit realm. They show you what God saw and what God did when Jesus was on the cross. And the Bible says when Jesus was on that cross, Pilate nailed something to that cross. But God also in the spirit nailed something to the cross. And he wrote every one of the commandments that he had given to Moses, all those handwritings, every rule, every regulation, everything that you and I have done wrong, he took and he nailed that to the cross. And he said, Jesus is paying for every one of those sins 
those trespasses, those faults. And that's why he went to the cross. And in God's economy, that's what happened. That is what happened in the spiritual realm. I think it's interesting. Moses is coming down with those commandments. And before he gets to the bottom of the mountain, he looks and there's the people. They're worshiping a golden calf. They're going crazy, having a party. And he throws them down. Before he gets to the bottom of the mountain, they'd broken them all. They had broken them all before he got down from the mountain. But God said, I nailed that to the cross. And the result was, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers. That's Satan and demons. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He says, Satan's hold on people was sin. But that sin's gone. What Jesus came to proclaim was the gospel. Now, somebody says gospel means good news. Yes, but it actually means more. It actually means almost too good to be true news. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer holding men's sins against them. I remember a while back, I was down on division witnessing and a car came by with some Christians and they had their windows down. And this is what they shouted out the window. They said, you're going to hell, sinners, going to hell. How many think that's good news? <laughs> no, that is not good news, right? The good news is you don't have to go to hell. That's the good news. Right? You see, the law without grace, without what Jesus did, does not produce anything except condemnation. But when the law comes and we see we need a Savior, and there is a Savior, that is the good news. Now, let me close with uh, one more thought about why Jesus came. Mark's gospel in the 14th chapter tells us when Jesus begins his ministry, it says Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the gospel that Jesus preached was the gospel of what? The, the kingdom. And Jesus said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying it's here. It's available. It's now. Now, we live in a culture, Christian culture, right, where people believe that Christianity is about what happens when you die. Someday your body wears out and you get to go to heaven. Right? That is not the gospel of the kingdom. Right? Now, Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. So what we think is Jesus just wanted to get us to heaven. He wanted to get us out of here, and he wanted to get us to heaven. But what Jesus taught us to pray was, your kingdom come. And when Jesus came, he said, God's kingdom is here. It's now. It's available. It's for you, right? In your New Testament, the kingdom is mentioned 162 times. It is literally the, 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 the main subject of your New Testament. Um, Luke chapter, well, let's go to Acts 1. 
Acts is written by a guy by the name of Luke. He writes the book of Acts and he writes the gospel of Luke. Now, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. Most people think he was a disciple. He was not. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. But he traveled with Paul and had relationship with some of those 12 disciples. He knew them. And he's a doctor. He's actually called the beloved physician. And he wrote two books about, it's really a miracle that we have them in the Bible because he's a doctor. How many know you can't read doctor's handwriting? It's just a miracle that they're here. All right? But here they are, two of them. All right? And he starts out and he says, the former account I made O Theophilus. Now he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. Some people believe that he was a fellow physician, but the, the, the name Theophilus means friend of God. I think he's writing to every one of us, right? Because we're supposed to be a friend of, a friend of God. And he goes on and he says, now this is what Jesus did for 40 days. After he arose from the dead, he's with his disciples for 40 days. He says, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after Jesus arose from the dead, what did he talk about? For 40 days with his disciples, He's talking about the kingdom. Of course, Philip goes down to Samaria and preaches in the Bible says the things concerning the kingdom of God. In the last chapter of Acts, we find Paul at the end of his ministry. Acts 28, 31, preaching the kingdom of God. What was he preaching? The, the kingdom, right? Uh, earlier, it says persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, behold, I bestow upon you a kingdom. Jesus didn't leave us a religion. Jesus left us a kingdom. All right. In that kingdom, it's not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. 1 Thessalonians 2 says that you would walk worthy of God who has called us into his own kingdom. See, we are part of a kingdom. Jesus is the king. And our biggest mistake, I really believe, we've made, we have some really big mistakes in Western culture in the Christian church. But our biggest mistake, I believe, is that we think that Christianity is only about when you die. That it's just you die and you get to go to heaven. But Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom. When God's will is done today, just like it is in heaven on this earth, in your life, in my life. He wants his will done to us and through us. Let me close with a, a little quote from uh, the translator's New Testament. Uh, if you were to go to South, South America, move way out in, in Brazil, way out on the Amazon River, and you found a tribe of people that had never heard the gospel, and you lived there and you learned their language, and then you decide, I'm going to teach them to read, and I'm going to translate the Bible. One of the, the, uh, the keys that they give you to help you translate is literally this little book. 
It's about so big, by so big, by so big, about that big. It's called a translator's New Testament. Got one right, right back here in the green room, right? And uh, all sorts of helps for you to translate the Bible. So this is what it says about eternal life, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life, some of your translations say. It's one Greek word, right? It's the word zoe, but this is what it means. In the New Testament, I quote, life of that kind of life, which was given to all true believers in Christ, the word eternal, listen, draws attention to the quality of the life, not its duration in a temporal sense. So when the Bible says eternal life, it's not talking about how long it's for. Somebody says, how long is it for, Pastor? It's forever. But when the Bible says eternal life, it's not talking about how long it's for. It's talking about the quality of the life because it comes from the eternal one. And when does this life come into you? The moment you receive Jesus. Right? So it's not talking about its duration in a temporal sense. Thus, eternal life can be experienced by believers even while subject to the temporal conditions of earthly life. Translator, translators should be careful to avoid expressions which mean no more than a timeless continuation of life after death. But that's what most Christians think Christianity is. It's just a continuation of life after death. Do, do we have a continuation? Absolutely. Is it forever? Yes, it is. Right? But when the Bible says God gave you eternal life, it's talking about something he put on the inside of you the moment you received Jesus. Right? And that life puts you in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is supposed to flow to you. And it is supposed to flow through you. Not when your body dies and you go to heaven, but today. So when Jesus arose from the dead, he spent 40 days with his disciples and he talked to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And uh, we need to realize when Jesus came, he came to let us know the kingdom is here. That was his message. The kingdom of God is here. It's available. It's for you. And it's now. Not just when you die, but it begins now. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Christmas time. Jesus born in a manger. But the purpose of Christmas was not just for Jesus to come. The purpose of Christmas was for Jesus to restore us to God, to put our hand in God's hand. The purpose of Christmas was for him to announce the kingdom of God. It's here. It's now. It's available. It's for you. And in a group of this size, and especially as we consider the thousands online, there's people in all sorts of spiritual conditions. There's people that you've lived for God for decades, and there's people that you're away from God. And there's people you don't know where you stand with God. The Bible says these things we've written to you that you may know that you have 
everlasting life. And the truth is, if you don't know where you stand with God, you're not right with God. And some know they're right, and some know they're not right. So I'm going to ask everyone, bow your head, and if you can, take the hand of somebody that's near you, whether you're here or whether you're online. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud from your heart. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. I turn my back on my old life. I'm no longer living for him. For, for me, I'm living for him. I'm living for Jesus. I thank you, you've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.